master's heart. But the church that he pastors really believes that. Amen. As they sing that song, that you alone are my heart's desire. And I can't think of something, anything more importantly, more important, more joyous than being able to sing that song and really, really mean it. Well, I want us to pause for just a few moments as we get started with our message. We have several folks that we need to pray for. Uh, Bill informed me that his granddaughter Piper uh, has pneumonia. I want to lift Piper up. Uh, Sherwood Carter, uh, they normally sit back there in the back. Ruth and Sherwood have been coming. Uh, he's going to be seeing a surgeon tomorrow uh, with some problems that have come. And so I want to pray for them. Uh, Jim Rule, uh, Marge Fleming, there are several in our congregation that, that really are needing prayer. And, and Michael Kirk, um, uh, Mike pastors another church, but uh, I haven't heard this week how he's doing, but we need to pray for Mike. He went back to the hospital and is in pretty serious condition. So Michael Kirk. And Frida, it's good to see you. It's good to see Frida. Let's, uh, let's bow in prayer this morning. Any other special prayer requests, though, as we... Yeah, Frida will pray for you. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, again, what a joy. What an honor it is to be able to approach your throne. Knowing that we're your children. And knowing that there is nothing that we cannot bring before you. Knowing that you're listening. And that you answer prayer. Father, we thank you for that relationship that we can have with you because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning we want to lift little Piper up before you. We just commit this precious baby into your hands and just pray for a speedy recovery. We do pray for Michael Kirk. We pray for Sherwood. We lift this man up before you. We pray for Jim Rule. Pray for Marge Fleming. Father, we continue to pray for Pat as he searches for a job. Father, for others in our congregation that are doing the same, Father, we lift them all up before you, praying that your will be done in, in their lives. And Father, this morning we come acknowledging that you are the great physician. Father, we pray for Bill Wicks. All of these people we present before you for healing and for you to work in their lives. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning I want us to continue with our Bible study on the church's doctrinal statement and what it is that we as a church believes. This morning we're going to be looking at the doctrine of the Trinity or the Godhead. That thing's not working. You ever had a day go where everything happens? Oh well. Let me read to you what it is that our church believes concerning the Godhead. We believe that there is one God manifested in three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
This morning we're not debating that issue. We are just presenting to you what it is that our church believes. This is probably the most difficult doctrine that this church holds to to explain. You need to understand that the word Trinity is not used in the Scripture. Although the concept is certainly implied and the word Godhead is used. But the word Trinity is not in the Scripture. And as I mentioned, it is probably one of the most difficult doctrines to try to explain. If I were to ask right now for a show of hands of how many people really understand the Trinity, nobody would raise their hands. And unfortunately, by the time we're finished with this sermon, you may be more confused than you are right now. I'm hoping that that's not the case, but possibly. But see, but if I were to ask you this morning to explain Einstein's theory of relativity, the E equals MC squared, very few of you could do that, right? Maybe only half of you. If I were to ask you to explain this morning the, the theory of quantum mechanics, how many of you could do that? No, I don't need to show hands. What about the M theory? What about the string theory? Hey, until I asked Charles, I had no idea that any of those theories even existed. I said, Charles, give me a few theories. I knew about the one of relativity. But all of these are theories that the average person, unless you have a higher degree in physics, you don't even know what I'm talking about. And most of them can't explain these theories. So I ask you if you can explain those theories and you say no. So why in the world should we be expected to be able to understand a truth that is really outside our sphere of existence? Because that's what the Godhead really is. If our eyes glaze over when we start talking about the theory of relativity or the theory of quantum mechanics, how much more so when we talk about something that is probably the most mysterious and most difficult thing to understand of all. And that is the Trinity. Louis Sperry Schaefer, Louis Sperry Schaefer says that the triune mode of existence is perhaps the su supreme mystery. So don't feel bad this morning if you can't get your brain around this wonderful but beyond our total comprehension, this description of the one God in three persons. Don't feel bad. Not many people can, if anyone. As a matter of fact, how do we who have finite minds begin to understand something that's so mysterious, something so wonderful? You see, I accept the reality of the Godhead. I accept the reality of the Trinity. One God, or three persons in one God, by faith. It's just the way it is. I know that just because mankind, and that includes some of the greatest theological thinkers that have ever lived, can't explain it. If they can't explain it, if they can't understand it, that does not mean that it's not real. It does not mean that it's not so. Just because we cannot get our minds around that concept does not mean that it does not exist, that it's not true. I am convinced, folks, that there is so much more beyond our grasp of reality.
that there is so much more to the awesomeness and the wonder of God than what man can begin to understand. And the idea of the Trinity falls in that arena. One day we may grasp that concept, but then again we may not. We need to understand that there are things we may never, ever understand. There may be fourth dimensions, fifth dimensions, sixth dimensions. You know, we, we work and act and live in, in the third dimension. But there may be things out there that, that, because of our finite minds, we can't grasp. But it doesn't mean that it's not so. And again, the Trinity, the Godhead falls within that. Maybe some of you remember this. In the early 18th century, Maybe the maybe the maybe the turn of the uh, 1900s. Can't remember exactly when it is. Uh, Congress decided to uh, abolish the Patent Office, United States Patent Office. They did that because there were a bunch of people in Congress that believed that everything that could ever be invented had been invented. Everything that there was to know was known. Now I don't remember the exact date. But in the early 1900s, that wasn't so. But you couldn't, there were some congressmen who were dead set on abolishing the patent office. We don't need it anymore. Look around you, everything that there is to know, we know. Everything there is to create, we've created, we've made. So let's, we don't need that office. Was there other things to invent? See, <laughs> yeah. See, just because man did not know and understand did not mean that it wasn't so. In other words, just because we can't understand it, just because we can't explain it, just because we can't wrap our finite minds around it does not mean that it's not real, does not mean that it's not true. And just as the Scriptures, just as the Scriptures put forth no argument for the existence of God, it just assumes it. You realize that? The Scriptures don't try to explain God. The Scriptures just present God. The Scriptures do the same when it comes to the Trinity. It doesn't try to debate it. It just presents the Godhead as a fact. It declares the unity of God to be so. Three persons in one God. The sacred writings do not put forth an argument. They just declare it. Now think about this. The Creator... The Creator does not need to explain Himself to the creation, does He? The Creator doesn't need to explain Himself to the creation. We are answerable to God. God is not answerable to man. Now, we may live our lives sometimes as if it's the other way around, but it's not. And keep this in mind. God is invisible. God is a spirit and is therefore unknown and unknowable to man apart from His divine revelation of Himself to man. Had God, had God not chosen to reveal Himself to us, we would not know who God is. We would not know anything about Him. All that we know of God is what He has revealed to us through nature, which is limited, but you know what? Even nature, and we're going to come back to this in a minute, even nature declares what? The Godhead, the glory of Godhead. Nature 
So a man's without excuse. Even nature, and we're going to talk about how that's, that's done in a few seconds. But God has revealed himself through nature. God has revealed himself through the written word. God has revealed himself through the living word. All three of those modes of revelation of God points to a triune God, points to the Trinity. Now, the scripture, as we're going to get into in just a second, the scripture declares the Father to be God, right? The scriptures declare the Son to be God, right? The scriptures declare the Holy Spirit to be God, right? And the scriptures declare that there's only one God. So is there a contradiction? Well, maybe for finite minds there are, but there's not a contradiction. Think about this, and we're going to come back to this in just a second when we talk about the, the revelation of nature in the Trinity. One plus one plus one equals what? Three, right? So a lot of people make the mistake of saying, well, if you have one Father, one Son, one Holy, Holy Spirit, you've got three gods. But we're not talking about three gods in three persons. We're talking one God in three persons. Yeah, but Rick, one plus one plus one equals three. Well, keep that in mind. Because I'm going to show you, not even use new math, something different. So if the scriptures teach that there's a God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that there's one God, what conclusion do you come to? The conclusion you have to come to is that there is one God manifest in three persons, and folks, we accept that by faith. We believe that that's just the way it is. Do I completely, totally understand it? No. No. My little pea brain just can't get a hold of that concept, but by faith I believe it. I believe it to be true. He is not three persons in one person. He is not three gods in one God. He is three persons in one God. Turn with me, and I hope you have your list of Scripture verses. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, He is God, and there is none else beside Him. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 45. Jump way over to Isaiah. And we're only going to hit a few of these scriptures. But Isaiah chapter 45, look at verse 5. I am Jehovah, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Look at verse 6. Uh, I mean, look at verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He has created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Look at Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. 
I am God and there is none like me. Look at 1 Corinthians. Chapter 8. 1 Corinthians, chapter 8, starting with verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that, that an idol is nothing in the world, and there, is, and there is none other God but one. Look at James, chapter 2. In James, chapter 2, God's Word tells us, Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. Look back over to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 6. Let's start with verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who above all and through all and in you all. We are a monotheistic, we have a monotheistic belief. We believe there is one God. When I read these scriptures, what does those scriptures tell us? Those scriptures tell us that there is only one God. Well, how do you explain the fact that the scriptures call Jesus Christ God and the Holy Spirit God? It's because they are God. Turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 5. And I pray your translation has this verse in it. The more I study, the more I'm convinced I am that this is definitely in the translation. There's external and internal evidence that this verse needs to be in this Scripture here. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. God's Word declares it to be so, and we accept it. All divine attributes... All of the divine attributes, all properties of personality, they're all ascribed to each person of the Godhead. And they're done throughout the Scriptures with such clarity and with such frequency that you cannot come away from the Scriptures not believing that the Scriptures teach that there is a triune God. That there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all have personality. They all have mission. They all do, do the work that, that has been laid out for them to do. As you study the Scripture, they, that just as they, are, they are just as distinct from one another as they are unified. They are not of the same mind. They are the same mind. Does that make sense? Well, for finite minds, sometimes we don't see it. But they're not just of the same mind. They are the same mind. All right. Let's try to make it make sense. Okay? I'm going to give you some examples. And as I give you some examples, I want you to understand that these examples really fall short of declaring the full truth of this of this fact, okay? As we talk about 
the Trinity. But you've got to keep this in mind. According to Romans chapter 1, verse 25, that nature, that all men are without excuse, because even God's creation proves His existence, even His, what? Godhead. So nature. So God's creation really is an example of Trinity. And that's not me saying it, that's God's Word saying it. So we should be able to go to nature to somehow, some way, understand the Godhead. I mean, I'm no scientist. But they tell me that even the atom is made up of what? Neutrons, electrons, and protons. And if it's made up of anything else, don't tell me, because it makes a good point. <laughs> neutrons, electrons, and protons. One atom has three parts to it. But what about man? And remember this, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us create man, the us, let us create man in our image, denoting plurality. There at creation you had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And God said, let us make man in our image. And so God made man. What does man consist of? Body, soul, and spirit. You are looking at one man here, but yet there is a trinity. The whole universe spells trinity. Matter of fact, there's a guy by the name of Nathan R. Wood that's written two books, and you get a chance to get them, get them and read them. One of them is called The Trinity in the Universe, and the other is called The Secret of the Universe. And he really goes into detail how the universe really depicts the, the trinity and the glory of God. One of the things he talks about is that you have this giant, great, big universe. In this whole universe, there are three distinct things that comprise the entire universe. That if you take out anything, speaking of taking out something, if you were to take away my body, would I be a man? Could I be a man without a body? Could I be a man without a spirit? Could I be a man without a soul? No. In order to be this one man, I have to have all three of those functions. They all serve a purpose. You take out any one of those, and it's curtains. It's the same way with the universe. There's three things, only three things that comprise the universe. Space, matter, and time. You take away any part of that, space, matter, and time, you no longer have a universe. You have one universe consisting of those three distinct things. Now, space can even be broken down into three things. Breadth, height, and length. Matter can be broken down into um, energy, motion, and phenomena. Energy, motion, and phenomena. That's what matter is. Time can be broken down into a trinity. Past, present, and future. See, the whole universe screams Trinity. You have one universe, yet you have that universe that's made up of a Trinity. Space, matter, and time. You say, well, you've got, do you have three universes if you've got, does space make a universe itself? Does time make a universe? Does matter make a universe? No. You have to have all three of those distinct parts 
to make the whole. And that's exactly what happens in the Trinity. We have one God, three persons. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, you said there was one Father, one Son, one Holy Spirit, one plus one plus one equals three. Let me ask you this. If you want to get, let's say we wanted to measure space. We wanted to measure this, this room right here. And we wanted to, what would we have to do? Do we add the height and the length and the breadth? Do we add those dimensions together to get the dimensions of this room? What do we do? Multiply the height and the width and the length in order to get these dimensions. You multiply. Let me ask you this. One times one times one. What does that equal? One. One. The universe declares, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Folks, there's Trinity in the universe. The fact is that the Father is seen as God. No one seems to argue that. See, we can get our minds around the fact that there's one God when we talk about the Father. But yet Jesus Christ Himself is called God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it tells us that He, that according to that verse, that He is equal to God. John chapter 10 Verse 30 tells us, in his Christ's own words, says that he and the Father are what? One. Now, does it get any clearer than that? You say, well, how can the Father and the Son be one God? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that I believe what God's Word says. And when Jesus Christ claims to be God, He's God in my book. When He says He and the Father are one, I believe that He and the Father are one. Philip. And John chapter 14 says, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll suffice us. What does the Lord Jesus say to Philip? Have I been with you so long, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Lord Jesus declares His deity. In John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ after the resurrection, says what? My Lord and my God. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the appearing of two different people. It's talking about the appearing of God Himself, Jesus Christ. Yes, the, the Scriptures are plain that the Father is God. No one argues that. But I've also got to tell you, there is a second person to that trinity, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. Romans chapter 9, verse 5, declares Him to be God. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, declares Him to be God. All the attributes of deity, from His omniscience to His omnipresence to His omnipotence, they all declare Jesus Christ to be God. Jesus Christ even accepts worship. They all declare Him to be God. He is God. Look at Colossians chapter 2. 
Look at verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 1.1 tells us what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.18 says that the Lord Jesus Christ declares the Father. It, he, in Christ Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead, declaring the Trinity there. As a matter of fact, the word Godhead and Trinity mean the exact same thing. So Jesus Christ, without a doubt, according to the Scriptures, and it is the Scriptures that we believe, is God. The Holy Spirit is also referred to as God. As a matter of fact, His deity is not in question. He's accepted as part of God. The problem with the Holy Spirit, according to some, is that He is not the third person. It, it, he has a separate position as a person. He's the, the, the third person of the Trinity is debated by some. Not by me, not by here, not by this church. We accept it. The Scripture is plain. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a, He is a He. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. His personality is indicated throughout the Scriptures by an abundance of personal pronouns. All the way through Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to as He. Not she, by the way. If you have a, one of these new gender Bibles, pitch it, burn it, flush it, which might be more appropriate. But anyway, John chapter 14. Look at verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him, for He dwelleth in you, and shall be in you. Look at verse 26, the same chapter, John 14. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord will send in My name, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is alive. He is active in your life. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Can it get any clearer than that? It doesn't say it. He is the third person of the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. The Holy Spirit has the ability to be grieved. The Holy Spirit has the ability to be vexed. The Holy Spirit has the ability to be blasphemed. As a matter of fact, all manner of sin, according to Matthew, is going to be forgiven. Will be forgiven. Except the blaspheme against the Father, the blaspheme against the Son, but the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in that, to that generation. That's a whole other study can't commit that in this present dispensation. But the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, He can be blasphemed. He can be resisted. 
He performs acts. He reveals. He testifies. He convicts. He guides. He makes intercession. He speaks. And He comforts. Does it comfort? No, He comforts. Matter of fact, in John chapter 14, He's referred to as the Comforter. The Lord says, if I don't go, I can't send the Comforter. The word there for... I can't... Actually, He says, I can't send another Comforter. The Greek word there is alos. It means one of the same. It's not heteros. It's not uh, another as if something different. It's alos. And and the Holy Spirit uses that Greek term specifically to make sure we understand that it's another of the same. It's God. The Lord says, I can't leave. I mean, the Holy Spirit can't come until I'm gone. And when I'm gone, I will send another comforter, a paracletus, that advocate, that one who walks alongside That's what the word comforter in the Greek is. It's someone who walks alongside. Someone who brings comforter. Does that sound like an it? And they're mentioned together. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14, it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are this triune God, this, this Godhead is all talked together about together. The Bible is clear. There is only one God, and that is the God we worship. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who declares him. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who reveals him. But this one God is made up of three persons. You're not talking about three gods, you're talking about one God and three persons. Explain it. I don't know how those lights come on, much less explain to you how the Trinity works. It is a unique divine unity. Matter of fact, using the word unique is an understatement. This union goes beyond our mortal comprehension. We are talking about three eternal distinctions that are equal that are one, yet are separate. One times one times one equals one. Friends, I can't explain it any better than that. What is the purpose of this revelation? Remember that we could not know God if He did not choose to reveal Himself to us. But in His love and in His mercy, He has revealed Himself to us in His Word, and He's revealed Himself to us that we might know Him who loves us. Isn't that wonderful? That we might have a personal relationship with Him who loves us. Isn't that wonderful? And the way that God has chosen to present Himself, and He doesn't explain it, He just says, here is the way it is. I am one God in three persons, and this says, I love you. And He does it so that we might be loved by Him and love Him. 
He does it that we might be saved by Him. He does it in order that we might be empowered by Him as He reveals His oneness in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I would even go so far that if He did not reveal Himself in that manner, we couldn't understand it. That would be beyond our imagination. To see the things that God does, try to explain God's love and God's mercy. Try to explain God's actions. Try to explain God's workings without the Trinity. See, I think that would be more difficult to do than just say there's one God out there doing it. We trust God's Word. What does this church believe? We believe in the one true God who loves us and has revealed himself to us in three persons. Now, like I said, you're probably going to walk away from here more confused. But that's what the scriptures teach. And by faith, I accept that he's one God in three persons. And one of these days when we're in glory, one of these days when we're in heaven, boy, all of a sudden it might just... That's the way it works. Oh, that's the way. I don't know. It may be something that we, we're never able to grasp. But I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. It's what I believe this book teaches. And I will stake my very life on what this book teaches. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come before you thanking you for what your word has revealed to us about yourself. Father, we come acknowledging that we cannot get our puny brains around that enormous truth that you're one God in three persons. But Father, we come believing and accepting the truth of the Godhead. We thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the witness that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ came to do your perfect will and to say those things that you instructed him to say. Father, we worship you as one God. We love you this morning. And we're thankful for that indwelling we have of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that salvation that we have in Christ. And we thank you, Father, that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son. Again, Father, we admit we don't understand it. But we accept it as a divine and glorious truth. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's never trusted you as their Savior, that they've never placed their faith and trust in you, that this morning, this very moment, as this hymn of invitation is played, that Father, this will be the time with their head bowed and their hearts open to you, that they'll call you Savior.
They'll believe on you. And Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.